Here we are now with another episode of the Andrew Lake Podcast. Today I'd like to talk about a very significant story. This is a very important thing to understand. This is a story that we can learn so much from. And it really is a remarkable story. It's a story of youth and the daredevil complex. It's a story of success, fame, and death. And this is the story of Brett Benesiewicz. And it really is a piece of sport history that should be taught in the schools. It could be taught in many ways. and It should be wi- more widely known, this story of Brett Benesiewicz, the sports star. And his sport is BMX. He's in the extreme sports. And what happened to him and what he was is really just a remarkable story. It's somewhat a mystery. It's somewhat a story that is unfinished. It's a story that's unresolved. It's a story that continues. Because this is who we are talking about. A living, breathing person. Someone who's still alive today. And the things he achieved are still in recent memory. The things he achieved have not been lost to history. But with the benefit of hindsight, with the benefit of a few years behind us, we can see how tremendously significant this story is. And we can say, well, he was an incredible sports star. He was an incredible daredevil. And there are many. He's not the only one. He wasn't the... Well, maybe we can talk this through and we can figure this out because this is a, is a tricky game to say, well, who is iconic? Who can we really say is an iconic sports star? Who do we say is a superstar, a megastar? We can say, well, the most gold medals is the superstar. And that's one metric. But then we can also say that there are pioneers in each sport. And a pioneer is the person that does the thing for the first time. As I understand it, Van Homan 
was the first person to pull a tail whip in BMX history. And when he did that, everyone was shocked. He stunned the crowd. And now Van Homen actually doesn't compete a lot in the street. He actually still rides. But, sorry, I should get my terms right. He doesn't compete a lot in BMX Park. He competes or rides a lot on BMX Street. So he's actually more of a freestyle rider. And since he pulled the first tail whip, well, the sport's come a long way. Now we have the double tail whip. We have the triple tail whip. And we even have the quadruple tail whip. So that's another metric, the pioneers of the first trick, the first person to do that trick. But then we also have a certain kind of personality, like each rider, each BMX rider has their own style. They have their own thing that they're known for. And it sort of just becomes like a reputation in some people. And it's sort of just this fluffy thing in the fans' impression of them. I'm sure the actual person might think something very different. The actual rider might be just saying, well, I'm just trying to ride my BMX as best as I can, and I'm trying to do the competitions the best way I know how, and it's not a matter of style for them. But for us as fans, watching on, we can see. And one of my favourite riders is Morgan Wade. And he's a very accomplished rider. He's been in many competitions. He's had a very amazing career. And he is a rider that when I think of Morgan Wade, and he comes to mind, I think of his big transfers. Which is going from one ramp to another in such a way, with such distance, with such air, that you wouldn't ever think to ride between those two ramps. And he does have times when he just runs straight at the quarter pipe and he really pushes the quarter pipe. And that's really something when he does that. When, when Morgan Wade really hits a quarter pipe, and, and many riders done this, it's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a thing in, in the BMX world. Like how is your quarter pipe playing just tabletop air or just, just airing straight out of the quarter pipe? And Morgan Wade goes so far with that. He really is a an outstanding performer. And there's something in that where it's a moment of defying gravity. It's a moment of how is that physically possible? And it's those moments, it's those moments in the extreme sports which make it such an appealing sport to watch that's why it appeals to me it's why bmx appeals to me i usually don't watch a lot of sports but really my favorite sport and the only sport that i would ever really watch at length is the bmx and it's for this reason it's for this reality defying gravity defying moment where you think how is that possible
And there are many writers in the community that have these moments and have their own style and compete in the competitions and do certain things that are amazing to watch. And there are writers which are the more traditional style, the older writers. A writer like Ryan Nyquist or Steve McCann or TJ Lavin or Matt Hoffman. Matt Hoffman was a pioneer for many tricks. And Matt Hoffman was more known for the vert ramp writing that he does, along with Dave Mirror and Jamie Bestwick and Jay Mirren. You can say, well, there are different categories to the sport. So we can say there's BMX, and there are different categories. Now, now they have the big air competition, which is a new thing. That's only come across the sport in the last few years. But when I was younger, and I was much more into BMX then, it was dirt, park, and vert. And those were the three basic categories. And then the smaller category would be the flatland. So now there's riders which are known for, well, that, that rider is mostly a dirt rider. And that rider is mostly a vert rider. So Jamie Bestwick competes mostly on the, the vert. And that's where he specializes. And the great thing about TJ Lavin from back in the day was that he could ride dirt like no one else. And he really was consistent. He really was one of the best performers. And it's easy to forget because now TJ Lavin is a commentator and he doesn't actually ride professionally. He's involved in the sports industry in different ways. And it's easy to forget. It's easy to forget just how incredible TJ Lavin was. And I saw it. I saw him with my I saw him myself. And usually in dirt, in the old style of dirt, you'd have three jumps. Three jumps only. It wasn't long lines like they do now. Well, in the traditional style, in the in the standard competition style, it's three jumps. Still, I think, for many of the competitions. And TJ Lavin, well, he would do the biggest tricks consistently over all three. And that was something because... Some riders would do really good tricks, really big tricks on the first jump, and then the second jump they would just air over it, and then the last jump they'd do another big trick. But big, average, and big is different to big consistently. So there's not only the metric of style, and big tricks and big air, but also consistency. And you can also see this in Jamie Bestwick's vert style. Because each round you do on the vert, each time you go up, is an air. And there's a difference between a rider that does something like a 540, which is quite a tricky trick, difficult trick on vert ramp. They do a 540 once in their run, as opposed to multiple times, with multiple variations. So the sport is vast. The sport is deep. And there are many different metrics we can use to 
gauge and say, well, who is the best rider? Who is the king? And now we have modern riders like Daniel Durs, Scotty Crammer, Krant Cranmer, Cam White, Mike Spinner, Jed Milden, Logan Martin, just to name a few. And they're taking the sport even further. They're a younger generation. They're doing things even more insane than that older generation of the Matt Hoffmans, the Van Homans, the Dave Mirror. And in the case of Brett Benesewicz, He really does stand out from all the rest. And there is one thing, one moment which Brett Benesewicz achieved, which sets him apart from all the rest. And that is the cash roll. This is a pioneering moment in sports history unlike any other. There are tricks which are hard to do and there are tricks which are on the edge of impossibility. And then there are tricks which are completely outside the realm of anything anyone could have imagined. And it was Brett Benesewicz that pulled the first cash roll in competition. And that moment, that moment was a point in the sports history where everything that was before it was old news and everything that was after it is now modern And it is also to be understood that these riders work together in a community and they're all feeding off each other and they're all learning from each other, sometimes not in the most warm-hearted way. Maybe we'll get to that, what the culture is like to relate to people within it. But as a matter of fact, as I understand it, it was actually Daniel Durs who invented the cash roll. And it was Brett Benesewicz who pulled it off first in competition, which made his name pop up in BMX history. And Daniel Durs is an iconic rider in his own right. He really is a cut above the rest. And he's won many medals and done many pioneering tricks. And the story goes, as I understand it, that Daniel Durs didn't want to try pull the cash roll just yet in competition because he might not pull it off. And that's the risk. There is a risk in these tricks. This is the thrill-seeking complex, the daredevil complex coming through. And Brett Benesewicz went for it and he pulled it. He did it. And there are many things that Brett has 
thrown him in, thrown himself into much deeper than other writers. And what's more remarkable is that the kid was only 15 years old. Something like that, 15, 16 years old. And that tells us something. There is something in that. Because this is reckless youth. It's reckless youth meets skill. Was he just blind to throw himself into that trick? Was he just risking it all recklessly? And he just happened to be lucky to pull it off? And the thing I like about the sport, BMX, is, well, it does involve skill. It does involve practice. It involves training. It involves refining. It involves rehearsal. Now these people use the foam pits to do their tricks. And you can can learn all sorts of stories from them about, for example, Mike Spinner pulling the first quad whip had to practice over and over and over again. And what we see in the competition is just this one moment which has been rehearsed over and over again. But that's not to downplay what Brett Benesiewicz has done and how much he achieved. And he got the nickname Mad Dog. That's what they call him. You can understand why when you see this kid ride, you can see why they call him Mad Dog. Because he really is the epitome of the daredevil complex. And that is throwing yourself in, launching yourself into the air, twisting around, flipping around, having all sorts of things turn about in an instant and hope that, well, you land correctly on the other side. And for many of these riders, and for many of these daredevils, they never entirely know how much they're risking. Now, there are injuries in the sport, and there are safety precautions that take place. But in the case of the mad dog, he was doing things at such a young age that even some of the top riders, the most experienced riders, wouldn't dare to do. And that is something to be understood. That is a a perfect expression of the daredevil complex. And as our story goes, as our story goes, we know what happened to Brett Benesiewicz. On August the 23rd, 2012, he crashed. He crashed hard. He crashed down and he did not get back up again. 
and he was placed into a medically induced coma because of his head injury. And he was in that coma for weeks. And I can't imagine what that must be like. I can't imagine how it would have been. This is a kid who was at the peak of his career. And it's a career that is very exciting. He was going on tour. He was seeing new cities. He was meeting new people, making new friends, making lots of money from going in these competitions, sponsorship deals. Lawyers for the sponsorship deals. Getting a new bike, getting good bike gear. Meeting girls, having fans, having people want your autograph. Going to parties. Getting all this attention, having interviews, being on TV. All of this at such a young age. Must be really chaotic. And people take success in different ways. People respond to that in different ways. And for someone as young as Brett at that time, well, who knows? He was just a kid. Like, how is he going to respond to all the girls chasing after him? How is he going to respond to talking to the older riders and how they treat their fame, their success, how they talk about girls, how they talk about competition? And of course, the other side of it is, well, you are competing. There is a serious side to it. These are your friends, but you're also in competition with them. And there is a responsibility to, well, your sponsors. How do you behave and represent a sponsor? And how do you deal with your parents telling you certain things? Or taking care of you. Your relationship with your parents would change a lot if you've got all this success and this fame. You've got all this money. It's a really very crazy lifestyle. Quite a turbulent lifestyle. And Brett was thrown into it. At such a young age. And deeper than that, even more deeper than that, is he had something... That was a thrill. He had the thrill fulfilled. His yearning for expressing his youth. His yearning for his daredevil complex. To come to fruition. And it did come to fruition. And I bet that all the fame and all the attention and the girls and the money and everything didn't mean as much to Brett as that one moment where he went down the roll, went down the roll in and launched himself off a jump and into the air. I bet that feeling, that moment was something magical to him, something very precious. 
Because a daredevil has to live for the daredevil complex. It's his complex. It's ingrained in him. It's entwined in his very being. And all that other stuff, all the success stuff, at the end of the day, that comes second. And what's it like to come out of an injury? A head injury. It really is something quite personal to hurt your head. If you hurt your arm or you hurt your legs or you hurt bones, you break bones. That's one thing. But a head, in, a head injury is different because it messes with not only your brain but with your mind. And there's not only a physical recovery that needs to be made but a psychological recovery that needs to be made. And in the case of Brett, well, maybe it's not possible. I mean, what is he going to do? And he hasn't ridden BMX professionally since this crash that he's had. And that's understandable. And I can only wonder how he's taken that. I can only wonder what it's been like to rehabilitate himself, to go through hospitals and doctors and therapies and all different processes and stages and phases and then research and then testing over years and years. And to live with the fact that you had this huge, glorious career and it ended suddenly. Really, the, the best career that you could ever hope for yourself, the most success that you could ever hope for yourself, is gone. You have the rest of your life to make sense of it. And I can understand it would be quite depressing. It would be quite sad. But there is an upside to it. There is a deeper wisdom. There is a lesson that can be learned from such a unique experience. And it has a very positive outlook to it. So by no means am I sitting here wishing bad for Brett. In fact, I'm wishing the best for him. And I'm wishing the best for him in a very different way. Which is that there's a way to understand the end of something, in many ways the end of your life, which can grow to a deeper truth and a deeper wisdom. It can open the doors to existential gratitude. Because in many ways, he could have died. He might not have come out of that coma. That crash could have been so serious that he would have died. And there have been BMX riders that have died. 
It is a sport which has the real risk. It is a daredevil sport. But to have died and come back to life again offers you a very unique opportunity in understanding what life is. It is a unique opportunity in understanding what it means to be alive, what it means to exist. And we can even say to people, well, all the success and the fame and the money and the girls, it's not going to bring you real happiness. That's not what life is really about. What you really want is a deeper understanding of life. What you really want is a wisdom in your relationship with reality. But saying that is one thing, because you can say that to anyone, And then you'll think, well, yeah, sure, but I really just wish I could be successful. Most of us common folk really honestly quite do just sometimes think we'd like to be successful. And that's the truth of it. That's just where we're at. We are the common mob. And we would like to taste some success and some fame and to be better with girls and have some attention But in the case of Brett Benesay, which he already had all that and lost it. Which means that he can take this advice that, well, all the fame and the success won't bring you all the happiness and understand it in a different light. And as a matter of fact, there is a famous BMX rider who committed suicide And that was Dave Mirror. And he was only 41 years old. And Dave Mirror was one of the greatest BMX writers of all time. One of the pioneers up there with Matt Hoffman and Jamie Bestwick. And he not only was a BMX writer, but he was also a rally car racer. And that's interesting to me because that shows he had the daredevil's complex. It shows that the complex of thrill-seeking is deeper than just how you get it. It's deeper than just where it comes from. It's deeper than how it manifests itself in the external world. And by all means, Dave Mirror had the most amazing career the most successful career. And I think in one of the magazines, he was even named one of the hottest bachelors. You can imagine, well, what a life. And yet, he committed suicide. He committed suicide. He pulled the gun on himself. How can this be? When anyone does that, We all need to stop and take a good hard look at what's happening in our lives. We need to have a good hard look at how we're living and what life means to us. And it is a great tragedy. I feel so sad 
about what happened to Dave Mirror. And I really wish someone could have been there for him. I really wish someone could have explained certain things for him. I really wish he'd have understood his thrill-seeking complex and how it was manifesting in the real world. I really wish he would have found deep truths. And who knows, he's had a lot of crashes, he's had a lot of injuries, because the other side of injury is, well, there's ongoing damages to it, and he's probably had head injuries. And I believe he's even done some boxing sports, some contact sports as well. So that has an effect, maybe that had an effect on him. And we'll never know, his life is a mystery. In many ways, his interior world will remain a mystery. But it's a lesson to us. And in the case of Brett, I'd also like to say that his life and his story has touched me deeply. And what I would offer up to Brett is that Well, there's a unique opportunity. And there have been human beings on this planet who have faced death at a very young age and come out of it with something very extraordinary, something truly remarkable. Because it is possible to have these things happen to you and end up not taking life for granted and end up forgetting the lesson. When life knocks you down, it's trying to teach you a lesson is one way of looking at it. But it is possible to not learn the lesson or even to learn it and then to forget it. That's half the trick of any lesson is remembering that you have learnt it. Remember your gratitude. Remember that you're lucky to be here. You're lucky to be alive. And there's someone I'd like to talk about who has had experiences of death and come out of it in a very different way. And this is not a normal human being. This is someone like Brett who is an outlier, someone who is a high performer, someone who is in some ways culturally iconic, someone who is just not normal, someone who is just from another planet in many ways. And this person is Osho. And Osho is an Indian guru who, well, he died about 30 years ago. And he was a spiritual teacher. And he 
like Brett, found fame and the peak of his career at a very young age. He had a lot of attention. He had a lot of things happening around him. He had a lot of success, but it was a very different kind of success to the one Brett Benesiewicz had. It was a very different kind of attention. And without going into too much of the details or explaining esoteric philosophical conditions, or philosophical, I shouldn't say conditions, I should say, well, maybe conditions is the right word. Let, let's say, let's say, let's put it like this. Osho had a condition, and it wasn't exactly a medical condition, but you could call it a medical condition, but it was a well, it was a condition. It's a condition that occurs in people, and it's occurred in people in India, Indian culture, most notably, where they they have this certain thing which means that they can die at a very young age. And a doctor turned up at Osho's house one time to treat him for this condition and to really assess him because his parents were worried about him. And the doctor said, this child is going gonna, is gonna to die when he's seven years old. And if he doesn't die when he's seven, every few years, every seven years or so, there's going to be a great risk of him dying. And as it happened, there were things that happened to Osho around these times. And... You can read about these in his book, Glimpses of a Golden Childhood. So this is the story how Osho tells it himself. Well, I'm, I'm adapting it here. I'm really adapting. I'm adapting Osho's story to what we're talking about here today, which is Brett Benesiewicz. So you can read about this in the book, Glimpses of a Golden Childhood by Osho. And you can learn that this man faced his death and he had moments of death which actually formed who he was as an adult. And it made him that much stronger. It made him that much more wise made him that more that much more alive and he really did embody the gratitude and the grace that comes from facing death and even in some ways going through a death actually hap- having a death happen and that's very different to having an accident where you think oh, I had all this success and now I've lost it. And there's a sadness there. That's very different. It's a, it's a world apart. And furthermore now, well, Osho has created certain programs as a part of his work and he was so inspired by the things that he learnt from his experiences with death and he had a lot more wisdom as well, but he, he's created programs where people can actually go and face their death, and they go through a process. 
and they do a simulated death procedure. And so the thing that happened to Brett Benesiewicz is actually a thing that some people seek after for the purposes of gaining the wisdom. Now, I would never wish a near-death experience on someone. (laughs) I'd never wish a near-death experience on someone. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to... (laughs) We should all be... (laughs) We should all be launching ourselves off BMX dirt jumps just because. (laughs) Of course not. That's not what I'm saying at all. And the programs that Osho invented are controlled and they're contrived and they're structured and they're safe. And they're really, and really we should have this experience in a safe way. Like how, there's a wisdom in that. How do we get that? lesson, that life lesson in a safe way. Now, if you've already had the death experience, then you have a experience which you can draw on. You have an experience which is, in a sense, it's your treasure. But it's only a treasure if you seek after it and you dig it out. And for us common folk, well, we do the Osho programs and we listen to Osho and we try and get as much as we can of the wisdom of someone like Osho because he's not only had the near-death experience, but he's also dug it out. He's also integrated it. He's also turned it into a wisdom, into a teaching, into something that we can follow, or it's a, it's a path, it's a way to follow something. And I, I know there's a lot of things about, oh, we shouldn't be followers. There's always something that comes up in me is, oh, why are you following a guru? Why would you listen to a guru? And we can talk about that. I can answer that. And I have talked about in that, that in the past. But that's just a few of my thoughts. And I wonder, I wonder, how Brett is now. Has he found this? And to be honest, I don't know. I haven't followed anything. I don't know the man personally. And if I was to meet him, I don't know, I might cry. I might burst into tears. And I'd have to say, Brett, that cash roll, That moment was one of the greatest moments. And my heart was just filled with awe, with beauty, for weeks after I had seen you do that. It was such a peak for me. And I could fill my whole being with wonder. And how could a person do such things? How could a person fly so high and so beautifully in such a way? And the cash roll is one of the, it's still an incredible trick. And many people have done it since then. And there are many elaborate variations. You know, the sports moved forward since then. People have done new things. I love to share 
how much that moment in sport meant to me and how inspiring it was that such a young kid had done it. Someone with a real raw talent, a really underdeveloped daredevil's complex. And I would never want to offer myself up to give advice to Brett in the way of how to live or how to integrate such an experience as his crash. I'm not a professional. And I make that very clear. But I am someone who cares. I am someone who understands things about the world. Like the teachings of Osho and the people who have faced death and come out of it with a deeper wisdom. And I know what it means to dig into those dark experiences that we have. What it means to mine for gold in the darkness. And I'd want to ask Brett if he remembers if he remembers the exact moment when he woke up from his coma. The very moment he opened his eyes. And it might have been there were drugs involved and hospital procedures involved and doctors around or all sorts of complicated things. It doesn't matter too much about the environment. And his family might have been there or not. But the feeling of looking out those eyes, the moment where he comes to, the, the exact moment, because if he can remember that moment, then he can remember his birth. He can remember his new life. And he can remember that it's the beginning of incredible truths that will be found. Incredible experiences that can happen inside him. And things that are more meaningful can come to him. More meaningful than a famous career of heaps of money, sponsorships, having your name in the magazines. Because life offers so much more than that. Life offers existential wisdom. Life offers a relationship with reality. And we have our whole lives to figure this out. We have years to figure this out. And in many ways it takes a certain kind of maturity. Certain things do need to happen to us for us to grow out of our youth. And in some ways we have to disown our youth and say that all the things I did in my youth were reckless. They led me to these terrible 
things that happen to me. But even that isn't entirely correct or entirely advisable because we need to integrate our youth. It's actually the daredevil's complex which can turn you towards love. Because it's those that love that risk everything. It's those that love that fall the hardest. It's those that love that really enjoy the thrill. So that's all I'd like to share for this moment and... I'd like to invite you just to sit quietly for a few minutes, as we always do at the end of each of these episodes, just to meditate and to let what we've talked about sink in. So if it's comfortable for you to do so, just close your eyes and sit quietly for a few minutes. And that's all I have to say for now.